Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, he, Christ, entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. I want to preach for just a minute on this thought. Look who walked into church today. We see in this story the beginning of the ministry of the the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in the synagogue and he finds a man possessed with a demon and cast the demon out. You see four specific times in Christ's ministry when he does that. Now there were a multitude of times when he casts out demons, but four specific cases, the most well-known, most famous one being the maniac of Gadara. This one is unique because we see it in the synagogue. That's not exactly where you expect to find a demon-possessed man or this kind of a, a scene, but let me just say this. You, you say, Pastor, do you believe people are demon-possessed in 2020, 2021, United States of America? Absolutely. I, I believe there are hot spots around the world for satanic activity. But the farther a society gets from God and the more witchcraft and demonology is promoted, the more you're going to see demon possession. I, I believe without a doubt that what we saw in Houston not a week ago was an, an act of Satan when you have that kind of madness and mayhem, uh, when, you, when you have someone who tries to look like Satan and tries to speak for Satan, you can expect something satanic to happen during that kind of, they call it a concert, I think that's anything but a concert, is simple madness. But it's not, it's just not in certain realms or among certain people. Uh, we've seen uh, demon possessed among the homeless. I, I believe there are politicians that, that are, go way beyond oppressed but possessed. Amen. And you're going to see that in the end times uh, with, with uh, the Antichrist himself possessed by Satan. Amen. How many realize it goes way beyond Hitler and Mussolini? There are leaders. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers. We're talking about rulers of the darkness. And don't, don't think for a minute that those men in power are that smart. Don't think that these nations where these leaders don't even get along, they don't even like each other, and yet they're all plotting together with the same agenda. That's called... Uh, the forces of darkness. You say, preacher, it's a Sunday morning. Why would you preach on this subject? Because you're going to be seeing more of it and dealing more with it. And I, I think we have two extremes. You have certain uh, people and religions where they see a demon behind every crack and corner and in every room and in every person. And uh, the, the emotional, uh, it, 
I, I don't want to be associated with that. But then you have the Baptists who are, you know, logical and stoic and staid. And uh, they almost don't even believe in demons. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, there is a real satanic realm out there that we need to be aware of. And 2,000 years ago, Christ steps into the synagogue. Now look what it says in verse 21. They went into Capernaum and straightway. Now, God does not speak, especially not in his eternal word, but he does not speak in a loose-lipped manner where he accidentally uses words. God uses words on purpose. Straightway is emphasizing the Lord Jesus Christ and his purpose of being in God's house on God's day. Amen? Now, we understand a different dispensation. This is still temples and synagogues and animal sacrifice. We understand that. This was the Sabbath, and we today meet on the first day of the week and throughout the week. Amen? The Bible says so much the more we're supposed to meet while we see the day approaching but it was a priority straightway on that Sabbath day. He entered in the synagogue and taught in Christians. This is not the message this morning, but we ought to make church in God's house a priority. I'm talking about every service. When the doors are open, we ought to be found in God's house. It not be an afterthought. It shouldn't be something that we try to fit into our schedule. Uh, we, we shouldn't be racing in and racing out. God's house ought to be a place that we enjoy, we look forward to. There should be no pushing, no prodding, uh, no, no need for a phone call, no need for a visit, no need for someone to encourage us, no need for the wife to say, honey, are we going today? I can't imagine. I can't imagine my wife waking up and saying, honey, are we going to church today? It's not because I'm the pastor. That would really be a problem, right? <laughs> it goes beyond that. It, it, yes. it goes to the presence of the Holy Ghost in the life of a person that says, I, I want to be at the dinner table, God's dinner table. I want to be among God's people in God's house. I don't want to miss out. I don't understand that someone that doesn't want to be in God's house uh, for, for regular services. We, I, I still pastor the Spanish church and the English church, and we are in church uh, literally, uh, except for Monday, I am in church and in services every day of the week, and if I'm preaching a meeting, uh, that just adds to that. But I, I can imagine Tuesday night, because of our missions conference this week, we moved our Tuesday night Spanish service, and so we had church Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and today, and when we finish with this service, we'll have a 30-minute break, and then we'll go into the next service, and then we'll have a couple-hour break, we'll go into the next service. But Tuesday night, I, I told my wife, it felt so weird. I can't remember the last time there was Tuesday night, and I wasn't in God's house. I don't even know what to do with myself. But I, I can't imagine uh, people who literally consider it uh, an optional once-a-week thing. What? What do you think? Would it, would it be a good idea to be in God's house today? It would be a great idea to be in God's house today. Amen? Especially when you're living in this kind of world with this kind of evil, satanic opposition. You need to be fed. You need the preaching of the Word of God. You need the fellowship. And if Christ, who was God in the flesh, let me ask you this. Do you think Christ, who's God in the flesh, needed church? He was the reason for the gathering. 
He was the Word incarnate. So if Christ found himself in God's house, don't you think it'd be a high priority for us to find ourselves in God's house? And he taught, his purpose there was not to do a miracle, his purpose was to teach. But look what it says, they were astonished at his doctrine. And the astonishment was over two things here, his doctrine and his authority. He taught them as one that had authority, not as a scribe. What, what, a, what a kidney blow there, right? <laughs> Well, we finally have a preacher that's preaching doctrine and preaching with power. Isn't that a shame? That that people will sit in churches all across this nation this morning and never see the Bible, uh, the Word of God open. There'll be someone there with an iPad uh, or or someone there giving a a story about what they ate for breakfast or what their their dog did, which is their God. I said God, but (laughs) their pet is their God normally. Uh, But how they wrecked their bike or... Uh, it, you know, had, had a problem with their vehicle and how that applies to the life of a person sitting in the congregation. You know what we need to get back to? Opening up the Word of God. It, it'd be a good exercise this week. Go to First, Second Timothy and see how many times Paul mentions doctrine and sound doctrine and holding to the faith. And Timothy, you get in this book and you preach the Word, be in season, out of season, uh, but you reprove and rebuke and exhort, but you do it with sound doctrine, biblical doctrine. Every person doesn't bring their Bible to church because they don't need their Bible in the church they're attending. Nothing to read, nothing to open up to. They're, now, here's what's sad. Okay, these, most of these people that are gathered in this synagogue at this moment, they've been attending these worship services for a long periods of time. But look what it says Verse 27, how did they respond when he preaches and casts out the steam? And they said, what thing is this? What new doctrine? So here comes the living word preaching sound doctrine. And these people who'd been going to the synagogue, sound doctrine was so rare to them that when the living word shows up and preaches with power and authority, they say, is this new doctrine? Did you know that the average preacher can go to the average church around this city today and just open up the book and preach God's word and the people would sit back and say, what kind of new doctrine is this? Yeah, right. Salvation by grace through faith without works? The most basic doctrine in all the Bible would shock the average person in the average church because God's word is not being taught and preached. And he's there uh, preaching the word and preaching with power. Go with me to Luke chapter 4, the sister text. I love the Gospels because you can look at uh, many of the times for the miracles, the the encounters of Christ, uh, or the parables. You can see them in the other Gospels and the things that, the, the different ways it is brought about to our attention, the the situation or circumstance. Look what it says in Luke chapter uh, 4, verse 18. Now, this is just prior to this circumstance. He, Christ, comes into the synagogue. But look what he, he reads from Isaiah, verse 18. What's he saying? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Can you imagine people that sit in churches and never hear anyone anointed by the Holy Spirit of God? 
You know there are men standing behind pulpits today that are not even saved? They can't have the anointing of God or the power of God because they're not even born again, biblically born again. They'll stand and teach false doctrine. Many will stand that are born again, and because they've not bathed the, uh, their, their message in prayer and sought the power and the touch and the blessing of God, people go to services and they're used to seeing nothing happen. Absolutely nothing. There's no reason for amazement. Isn't it sad that this crowd stands back in awe because what they had previously seen, their point of reference is not sound doctrine. Their point of reference is not a spirit-filled preacher. Their point of reference is nothing supernatural taking place. Now, we, we ought to stand in awe of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what they were standing in awe of. Finally, they have the power of the word of God and the power of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and someone preaching with an anointing. But look what happens. Verse uh, 33. Uh, let, me, let me just say this before we move on because we're, we're about ready to see a, a scandal take place in the synagogue. But this is Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse 22. All bear him witness and wondered at the what? Now, now can you imagine? I've, I've wondered. I've heard a lot of preachers in my time. I've, I've enjoyed a lot of good preaching. There are some that I prefer. All of us have a preference in our style and in delivery. And I, I think we ought to be very careful that we never sit in a church and miss a moment simply because the style of the preacher doesn't really match our taste or our personal style. If the Word of God is being opened and the Word of God is being preached, I think we ought to stay focused whether or not it is our preferred style. That's what I like about the missions conference. We'll have 20, 25 different preachers here. And if you can't find someone that is your style or presentation, you've got a very picky problem going on in your spiritual heart and mind. Amen? But in this case, who could, who could bring a more perfect delivery presentation and uh, a more perfect word than the Lord Jesus Christ? And here's what it was classified as. They wondered at the what? The gracious words. Now, when I preach the word of God, I want to be direct. I want to be firm. Uh, but I do want to be gracious at the same time. And sometimes that's a struggle. The, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of what? Soul and spirit. And it doesn't matter how you package the word of God, it's going to pierce. So, as much as we try to preach the word of God graciously, uh, there will always be those who are not in agreement with the word of God, who be offended no matter how it's presented, no matter how it's packaged. Because in one moment, they're wondering at the gracious words. And then in the next moment, look what it says, verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were what? Oh, look at the contrast. So one moment they're saying, how amazing is the gracious words coming out of the mouth of this preacher? And then as he begins to pierce to the soul and to the heart, uh, that, that, that amazement turns to great wrath. And they're ready to kill him. 
Any preacher that preaches the word of God will find himself in that situation sooner or later. But here's Christ. He's preaching. Now look what it says, verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. Now, this is a very unique situation. And this is what you ought to find in God's house. You, you find the Savior there, and you find the sinner there, and you find Satan there. You say that Satan, Satan in God's house. Now, Satan is not omnipresent. I, how many times have we heard, we heard people say, man, Satan gave me a hard time today. I doubt it. Eight billion people. You haven't won a soul in six months. God, Satan's probably not even bothered by you at all. He's got bigger fish to fry. You're not the biggest fish on the plate. But there are demons. Amen. Satan does have his minions. Satan does have his forces of evil. And in this case, we ought to be doing enough as a church that Satan ought to show up occasionally. If we're focused on souls, we're focused on reaching the world, we're focused on a holy living, don't be surprised. Now, here's the best thing you can do. Don't leave an empty chair for him to sit in. <laughs> be in your place, amen. <laughs> be exactly where you're supposed to be. But in, in this case, Christ showed up, and you're going to have a confrontation. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, full of the Holy Spirit, and in walks a man with an unclean spirit, there has to be a confrontation because preaching the word of truth is confronting the evil of the day. And church, here's what I want, here's really what I want you to understand and see this morning. When we magnify Christ, this world is only becoming more and more evil. People are only living more and more submitted and subjected to Satan. And, and when we look now, it, it, the, the TV is so full of filth and rot. The days of I Love Lucy and Leave It to, to Beaver, and those, that, those are long gone. If you just read the titles now, it, it is so obviously uh, now promoting... Satanism and witchcraft and rebellion. Uh, and how is that not instilling in the hearts of our youth a love for demonology? A, a, a rebellion that leads them down a path of everything that is satanic. So here's what we need to see as we reach a lost world, more and more often we're going to find this kind of satanic influence in God's house. Don't be shocked. Oh, there was a day in, in my youth, 35 years ago, when everyone lost and saved, they showed up for church, and you, you struggled to tell the difference between the lost and the saved. They dressed in a very similar fashion. They acted in a modest honest, decent behavior and fashion. But now there's such a stark difference between the world and the Christian. And, and now, uh, it, it doesn't matter the, the piercing, the tattoos, the behavior, the whatever it is, you have to understand, we are commanded to reach a world with the gospel of Christ. We don't get to pick and choose and you're going to find people uh, further and further from God and further and further from Bible principle. And uh, it, there will be a, a day if we remain. Now, if you, you say, I, I, don't, I don't want to 
see an unclean spirit in the house of God, then stop being evangelistic. A church that ceases to be evangelistic probably will never deal with these issues. But church, we are commanded to be evangelistic. And guess what's going to happen occasionally? Someone's going to walk in with an unclean spirit. I just a few months ago was out on the reservation. There's a lot of drug use and a lot of drunkenness and alcohol is a huge issue there for those church planters. In the church I was preaching in, uh, that that morning there were three services back to back and at the second service a man walked in and I, it was very obvious there, there was going to be an issue, there was going to be a problem and I asked the preacher, I, I said, is this normal? He said, it, it's here. He said, uh, you see that kind of behavior, that erratic behavior? Uh, I said, yeah. He said, I'll guarantee you that man has just downed a half a gallon of hand sanitizer. He said, you see uh, the, the desire for the alcohol uh, content. He, he said, you, you notice, he said, and he, he gave me some symptoms. He said, follow his behavior. And he said, we're going to have a problem. And uh, I, I, I thought it would be dealt with before we entered the service. It didn't, and uh, we, we weren't 15 minutes in the service. I've, I've never had this happen before. They literally uh, had, to, had to drag him out physically of, of the service uh, because the the scene that was taking place in all my life I'm, I'm 50 years old I've born and raised in church I've never seen anyone had to be dragged out of a, a church house but someone that literally what what that kind of substance does to your body and to your mind I, I don't think I don't think he'll even look back and remember the, the craziness that took place or what he did in a service because uh, he was under the influence of, I, I think it went beyond alcohol and what a substance like that can do to a body or to a person can, can take them beyond normal behavior into abnormal behavior. Look what it says. So he... Uh, cried out, the spirit of an unclean devil cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. Now, here's, here's what's crazy. Not only was this unclean spirit visiting, he was visible. You know, you know if there's an unclean spirit in the church uh, possessing a person, it is going to become visible as soon as you read the word of God. Because that spirit is in opposition to the word of God. Now, church, I, I, I don't need you to get strange on me this morning. This, this is the word of God. These are passages. Sooner or later, we have to read in the house of God. Amen. Oh, I wish these things weren't true. And I wish that a pastor never had to deal with these issues. But Christ had to deal with these issues in the synagogue. Who are we to think that we're going to go decades without ever having to deal with an issue that is similar? Look what it says. He was not just uh, visiting and, and visible, but he's going to go vocal. So right there, now, can you imagine? Here's Christ. He's graciously expounding the scripture, and it is becoming more and more obvious that this man is 
is possessed and he's perturbed and he's going to not just speak out, not raise his hand, not ask a question, but cry out. Now, the, the voice of a man possessed by a demon, this isn't going to be a normal voice or the, the average human voice, but the crying out of a demon within a man. Can you imagine the scene that is going to take place? Now, now, over the course of my life, I've seen a few people make a few scenes in church. But I, I've never seen anything on this level. These, uh, these people are gathered together. They're, they're going to be surprised. And yes, uh, let, me, let me just say this. If someone is, is influenced by Satan or comes with an unclean spirit, and if that person feels comfortable in God's house. Don't you consider that abnormal? Don't you think that we ought to preach enough the word of God that occasionally someone ought to be disturbed? Uh, you, most of you, if you've been in church long enough, something, something's been preached that disturbed you. Uh, something that you had a habit of doing in your life, something that went contrary to the word of God, was preached against now, we're talking about an unsaved man indwelt. Now, here's, here's what demons desire. They, they, they desire a body to possess. When, when Satan's group of angels were cast out of heaven, here's, here's what those that are not in the lake of fire, those that are upon the earth, look for a human or an animal body to possess. And... This one is possessing, and he's not going to want to, to exit this body. He's causing problems, but isn't it strange that uh, he, uh, that the rest of this crowd, as spiritual as they claim to be, do not recognize Jesus as the Son of God, but the demon does. Look what, look what happens. The Holy Spirit is at work. The man cries out. What's he cry out? Verse 34. Let us alone. Now, you know what Satan and his minions would like for the church to do, for the Christian to do? Just leave them alone. Don't preach the truth. Don't evangelize. Don't go on the offensive. Don't hold to the word of God. Act like they don't exist. We live in a Austin, Texas. You're going to see more and more things that should not shock you or surprise you if you understand there is a spiritual battle between good and evil, between God and Satan. There are uh, fallen angels at work. And you should not be surprised when one finds himself in the house of God. And it almost guarantees a scene that you don't want to participate in. Can you imagine the shock of this crowd? So this demon cries out of this. This is not the man speaking, but the demon. Let us alone. Leave us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? So we see the animosity. And then here's the question. I, I want you to focus on this for just a moment. He said, art thou come to destroy us? Now, here's what we have to understand about Satan and his forces of evil. Their biggest intention, their greatest intention is to simply distract the Christian from his spiritual duty. 
Now, here's why Satan doesn't have to worry about the average Christian. He's already distracted. Why would Satan waste time and energy on a Christian who's so focused on money and so focused on life, has no time for a track, has no time for reaching the lost, has, has no time for involvement in worldwide evangelism. Satan is not going to waste a moment of time on that person because life in general, carnal desires, have already done the job of Satan and he has no reason to, to focus on that person. But in, in this case, we have to understand this is more than a distraction. This is a temptation. Now, you know, you see earlier in, in the book of Luke, in the book of Mark, you see Christ in the wilderness tempted by, by Satan. But this is a reoccurring temptation. Art thou come to destroy us? Now, go with me quickly to um, Mark. I want you to see... You know, Matthew, both texts have the same text. Let's go to Matthew 8.29 for just a moment. We know in 1 John 3.8 that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. There will come a day. How many understand the Bible? There will come a day when Christ will right all wrongs. Satan himself and all of his angels will be cast eternally, not just eternal darkness, outer darkness, chains of darkness, but they'll be forever cast into the lake of fire. But that, that's a coming day. Now you say, I don't understand why that's not already been done. I, I don't either. Uh, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God's ways are higher than our ways. But here's what we understand. There's an appointed time for that. And Satan's angels know that. Satan himself knows that. Look what it says in Matthew 8, 29. One of the most famous instances in all the Bible concerning the casting out of demons. This is Legion. The maniac of Gadara. But look what happens in verse 29. Behold, they cried out saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Now, what's the next phrase say? Art thou come to hither to torment us? What's the next phrase? Before the time. Are you with me? There's an appointed time. Now, here's, here's, what, here's what was taking place in this story. This was not accidental that this man showed up. This demon knew on this day Christ would be in this synagogue. He goes there to cause a distraction. He goes to cause a disturbance. But more than that, he's there to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ to do something out of his time, off track, not at the moment. Christ's focus was Calvary. Christ's focus was three years of ministry. Christ's focus was there, there's a time and a moment for all of this. And Calvary comes first. There comes a crucifixion. There comes a resurrection. There comes an ascension. It, there'll, there'll be a rapture. There'll be a tribulation. There'll be a millennium. There'll, there'll be moments for all of this. And here's what that demon was trying to do to get Christ uh, distracted and say, are, are you going to send me to hell now? Are, are you going to rearrange the times? Are you, you going to get distracted in your purpose? 
Now, here's what we need to understand, church. When we, when we consider that we don't, we don't like the thought of, of Satan or, or his minions, we need to get focused one moment on their purpose. And it goes way beyond possession or oppression. I, I wouldn't get distracted with all of this. You need to understand Satan simply wants to distract the church and the believer from reaching the lost and fulfilling their purpose. And right now he doesn't even need a demon. He uses the love of money and the market and cryptocurrency and a new suit and a nicer house and a better job. Satan doesn't have to visit the average church because they haven't reached anyone in months. The baptismal tank is empty and rotting. The buses have been sold. The Sunday school classes, uh, the lights have been turned off. The track rack is empty. And the average Christian hasn't spent five minutes in the past year trying to reach a lost soul with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would he need to send a demon? But this is a man on a mission. And for the next three and a half years, he's going to be reaching men everywhere. And that's why this demon is in place to distract the very son of God to do something out of due time. And every encounter, you know what these demons are saying? Are you just going to send us to hell now? Are you going to turn the, uh, the calendar, the eternal calendar upside down? Can we get you distracted from your purpose? And every time, what do you see Christ doing? No. I'm going to cast you out, but I'm not going to lose my focus. Look what it says. They immediately uh, identify who he is. I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. You know what salvation starts with? identifying who Jesus Christ is. That's why Mormons are not saved. They have never identified Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God, the only Savior. That's why Mormons are not saved. They haven't identified Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God, the only Savior of the world. Now, that doesn't make this demon any more saved, any less saved. We know he's eternally lost. But isn't it shocking that in this place, in this religious house of worship, the only one that identified Christ is the Son of God, the Holy One of God, was the demon. And the others are going to reject him as the Messiah. He's going to understand his power. He's going to understand his preeminence. Now look what Christ does. Christ is ready to transform, permanently transform a life. And here's where we need to magnify Christ. Too often we look at this world and we see its condition. We see people that are they're either uh, totally motivated by Satan or submitted to Satan or lives ruined by Satan. And we look at these cases as hopeless. There is a God in heaven. There is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and shed his blood. And let me, let me just throw this in there. To, to remind you of the power of God and the power of blood. When you take a look at the, the miracles in Scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ casting out demons, in, in each one of these cases, it takes place in the northern part of Israel. You know where you never see a demon cast out? Jerusalem. Now, hold on for a second. I want you to think for a second. Why never Jerusalem? What was constantly taking place in Jerusalem at the temple? Blood sacrifice, 
You know what Satan doesn't like? You don't like anything about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ being sacrificed for the sins of mankind. That was a regular blood sacrifice being made and you never once in scripture uh, during these times find any kind of demon activity there as far as demon possession uh, or demons being cast out. Now, church, here's what I want you to understand. There's a life that's about ready to be radically changed. How many remember what you were before salvation? We need to be very careful about a world out there that we see so destroyed by Satan because there's a God in heaven so much bigger than that. And whether it's alcohol or drugs, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, whatever sin it is that has them so under control, there is a God that can free them from any of that in a single word. Now look what, look what takes place. He cries out, art thou the Holy One of God? And Jesus rebuked him. Now here's what we don't like. Now, people were disturbed when I was out there at the reservation and this man had to be taken out of the service. It disturbed people. That's just, you know what we don't like confronting evil? Is just, it's, it's disturbing your own house. If you're the spiritual leader and you have to confront evil, Kids are disturbed. Even your spouse might be disturbed. When a preacher has to confront evil in church, the people are disturbed. Can you imagine how disturbing this was? Now, I would say the majority of these people are religious. They're not even saved. They don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And in comes, I, I wonder how many times this man with the unclean spirit had already been to the synagogue. I bet he'd been there before and never felt uncomfortable. But now Jesus Christ show up, anointed preaching going to be there. And suddenly, this demon's going to cry out, and he's going to be rebuked and confronted. Christ says, hold thy peace, come out of him. It's, it's time that we call out evil for what it is. Can you imagine, had Jesus Christ been there, the very the Son of God, God in the flesh, there in the presence of evil, in the presence of Satan, had he just overlooked it? Do, do you think these two could coexist? And with him crying out, do, do you think Christ could have simply pacified the situation, overlooked the situation, stayed calm? He had to confront it and cast it out. And church, guess what you're going to find in the days ahead? As evil becomes more and more obvious, and as occasionally it makes itself inside the church, Spiritual leadership will be forced to confront it. And no matter how it's done, it'll be disturbing. This is a unique Sunday morning because we normally don't preach on these subjects. And it, it, it's presenting a unique environment. But in order to magnify Christ, we've got to stay evangelistic. And staying evangelistic, we're going to be reaching people under the influence of evil and and some will actually come through these doors with an unclean spirit and when the word of God is preached and salvation migrates through faith and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin when these doctrines are preached there'll be a confrontation of good versus evil God versus Satan and there will be a spiritual reaction in the heart of that person and it's either a submission to God 
in an acceptance of Bible truth or to be a resistance and a crying out that says, leave us alone. Acknowledging possibly who God is, who Christ is, but a rejection of salvation by grace through faith. But here's what's going to take place in this. He was confronted. The devil came out. Now look what it says. When the devil had thrown him. Now, here's Satan's intentions. Always still kill, destroy. Yesterday, if, if, if I put the last 24 hours, I, I think I could write a book in the last 24 hours. I, I tell yesterday was one of the most tragic occurrences in 50 years of life. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. When you look at his hand of destruction, it'll take your breath away. And when you see Satan's purpose, not just conceived, but realized, it is not a kidney punch. It, it, it'll leave you speechless when you see his intention. And young people, you need to realize now in your youth, Satan has no good intentions for you. Whatever he promises, it, it's a lie. And what path this man had taken to get to the point where he was actually, he had delivered his body over to a demon or over to Satan. And thankfully, the grace of God and the mercy of God is about ready to change this all. In church, here's what, here's what ought to fill us with great anticipation in the days ahead. It doesn't matter a circumstance a man or woman finds themselves in. The grace of God still can break through, pierce through the hardness of that heart and release them from the power of Satan over that life. It's not just drugs. It's not. We actually have a, a church plant where we, we just send money down to help. Uh, they're, they're putting up the second floor, uh, second story on a, on a uh, building there for their new auditorium, seat 200 people. That church was started because a little, uh, a, a, a young man, 19 years old, who'd, who'd messed up his life and his mind on drugs, found a track got born again and asked me if I could take him soul winning. And he invited a lady and she came to church and the family came to church. The next thing you know, a couple was reached and a church was started because a little boy with burnt brain cells on drugs that God had rescued from hell and damnation. And if you you go now, you look at that building, they're about ready to pour the roof and and... Every time I go there, I just want to, I want to take someone to say, I want to take you to a little boy whose mind, you would, you, would, you would not believe he could share the gospel. His mind's so blown by drugs. But that church is a result. One boy miraculously saved from the power of sin and Satan. And that's what's going to take place. Say, he's an alcoholic. God's greater than that. You, Say, so you, you don't believe what kind of sin he's in. God's greater than that. He came out of him and he, although he had thrown out, Satan wants to throw you around and mess up your life. I love what the, the last phrase says. What's it say? Hurt him not. 
you, you know why you're sitting here this morning? You said, Satan threw me around. You, you know what Satan did to you, Brother Ernest? For years, he threw you around. But when Christ came to your life, when you came from that life to this life, people are looking at you and saying, you weren't, you weren't hurt. That, that destruction was not permanent. And look what God's done in your home. Look what God's done in your marriage. Look what God's done in your life. And all that could have been absolute devastation and destruction. You mean a man that was possessed by Satan? How, how did he ever walk out of this? How did he ever have a life? How did he have a marriage? How did he have a home after this? It was the power of God and the power of the gospel that got the demon out without him being totally destroyed. And if you're here this morning, it's because God did something in your life that kept you from the absolute destruction that Satan had in mind for you. Let's try to get to the end of this. Look what it says in verse 36. They were all what? Wouldn't you be amazed? Now, from start to finish, it's obvious that Christ was doing something special in this service. Church, here's what I want. I want a house of God where God's at work and Jesus Christ is saving souls. And we are focused on evangelism. And here's here's what uh, Christians want. They want a, a building and a perfect place to come. And everyone has their own taste and their own feelings and their own ideas. And I I want, this is why people church hop. Because they want to find this perfect little place that meets my perfect little standards. And I want it to be super quiet or I want it to be a club of 10 or I want it to be 2,000 people with a baseball team. Or in a coffee shop, I want a gymnasium where we can go play hoops, you know, every uh, service after the service is over. I want a 15-minute lesson in a plastic pulpit. And, uh, and instead of looking for God and a moving of God and the power of God, they're, they're wanting a place that fits in their little box with their six requirements that meets their fleshly desires. You know what I want? I want a place where the lost are coming and... Satan is getting shook up and God is moving in hearts and lives. They were all amazed. Why? They're amazed at the presentation. They're amazed at the preaching. They're amazed at the power of God. They're, they're amazed at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're just amazed. Don't, how many of you here want to come to a place where every service you just said amazed at the power of God? Someone's getting saved, someone's getting help, a life is getting changed. And guess what? When people see you and hear your testimony and see what God is doing in your home, they ought to sit in amazement too. Isn't it sad that the world is not amazed by what they see happening in church? There's nothing to amaze them. They walked in, they heard the story about the cat, and they went home. They're amazed by the coffee bar. They're amazed by the facility. They're, they're amazed by the size of the parking lot and that they have golf carts to deliver them at the front door. They're amazed by the praise team and the lighting. But they're not amazed by God's presence and what God is doing in their midst. You know what I want this place to be? 
where any case, I don't care if they're a doctor or a lawyer, I don't care if they're a UT student uh, or a high schooler, I don't care if they come from east side, west side, riverside, or north side, I don't care what side they come from. I don't care the color of their hair, if they have a tattoo on their neck or their forehead. I don't care if someone painted a satanic symbol on their bicep or their mother's name on their earlobe. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if their facial piercing is on their nose, their lip, or their ear. They all need Jesus. And if we don't get to the point where we say this is the best place for them to get help because there's a God that's working and a Holy Spirit that's moving. And if we get them in the right place and ask God to do something in their hearts. You know what this means, church? We ought to be evangelistically involved. And when we get here, we ought to be willing to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be aware of the spiritual needs of everyone that walks through these doors and say, I want to make sure they know Jesus. I want to make sure they have the opportunity. I want it to be a gracious confrontation. But if there's good and there's evil, there's going to be a confrontation. And the fame, look what it says. The fame spread abroad, verse 37. The fame of him went out into every place. Let me ask you this. When's the last time someone walked out of Capital City and started spreading the word? Boy, God's moving in that place. Lives are being changed in that place. A drunk showed up, got saved, walked out sober. Life put back together. Marriage put back together. Jesus Christ is doing something special in hearts and in homes. That person was an addict and now they're sober. That person used to smoke weed now they smoke ham. Amen. Amen. Only God can do that. Oh, Christians, may we be aware of the times we're living in. It would be nice if church were perfect, but we have eternity for perfect worship services. Meanwhile, we have an earth with needy people in different circumstances. And instead of saying that case is too, what case is too hard for God? What case? And here's, here's what's crazy. This demon had an evil intention of ruining a life, ruining a service, and ruining Christ's purpose. And you know what he did? All he did was bring a lost man to Jesus. You know what you can do? You get the gospel out. You can help God ruin an evil spirit's day. And this demon left with nobody to possess. His day was ruined. His eternity's ruined. His plans were ruined. And here's what we got to do, church. We got to be very aware. There's a world out there. All they know is what they know. Ignorant of God's grace, ignorant of salvation. They need someone to connect with them and love them and show them there's a God that's greater than any vice, any sin, any addiction. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He wants to save you and he can save you. If you're sitting here today, you've never been born again. It's not an accident. You're here. God brought you here. doesn't matter what your intention was of getting here. God brought you here so you could hear the gospel. And just like this man was freed of the evil influence in his life, God wants to free you of the evil influence in your life that can happen today.